0: The uh, scripture for today uh, comes from Acts 2, uh, verses 1 through 28. Again, Acts 2, 1 through 28. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. because each one heard them speaking in their own language. Utterly amazed, they ask, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Alman- Alamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, And the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd.
1: I'm going to read for you what was in the brochure that was handed out. This is, we'll now move into our summer series. But I want to just share this because I think it it was well written and, and expresses a good introduction. The Holy Spirit has come. The church has begun. Jesus has left this earth and given us the role of spreading his word. Peter summarizes Jesus' reason for coming to earth and his command to be baptized anew. We are called to be the living, breathing, interacting, and growing church of Jesus Christ. So today we all uh, can celebrate Pentecost, celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, the beginning of a new age in Christ Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Jesus promised that he would send his spirit and it has come. And one of the things that is the most powerful, and as Doug was reading, I was thinking about this again, and and how churches have lost their way and, and gotten caught up into being uh, sort of uh, enclosed or walled off from from the rest of the world is you notice that the issue wasn't so much just that they were speaking in different languages. But they were from all kinds of cultures. There were all kinds of people there. It was an amalgam of many, many different diverse backgrounds and and locations that they came from. And in all of that, to be able to recognize that the call of God was always the offer for everyone to be saved. That was what God wants. And that was the point of Christ coming. And the church often loses sight of that. In fact, most of the churches, uh, particularly, I can't speak because of other countries, but I'm from this country. And I can say that many, many, many of the churches in our country end up getting into this enclosed, and we talk about community, yes, that's great, but, but what about the calling and so there's a, a bit of a, of a tough razor's edge because we, we know that the gospel and that the power of the Holy Spirit was given to be able to unite people that normally would not be united. To be able to give a language of faith and a language of spirituality that, that transcends backgrounds, race, cultures, languages. And so here we have a dilemma. We have a dilemma because we say this is our mission to call and prepare everyone to be fully committed followers of Christ, but we like our stable, no-change little community. We like it this way. And, uh, and, and we, we kind of, we really bristle at the idea of, of somebody coming in and changing the way we do it and the way we like things to be done. And so one of the challenges that, that the church would have is, is to get so far down that road that we lose sight of the ability to receive and empower and strengthen and disciple other people. It's a great challenge. It's a great challenge. But the coming of the Holy Spirit some 2,000 plus years ago was a fulfillment of the prophets of old, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and many others. They hungered for when the Lord would pour out his spirit upon all his people. And today is the day when the church of Jesus Christ has received the mantle of being a witness and a bearer of God's spirit. So that's our calling. Our calling is to be prepared to understand that when the Holy Spirit comes, it changes who we are. You've all heard stories or seen examples of where a child unwraps a beautifully wrapped gift, and you're so excited, you put so much thought into the gift, uh, they're just going to love this gift. And they, they hurry and they take all the wrapping off. They open it up. They look at what's inside. And they, then they look and they look and they go back to the wrapping and play with the wrapping instead of the gift itself. It's a very common experience. And, and one of the problems that the church has today is going back to the wrapping you know, the, the whole idea of, of, of the the miraculous event of Pentecost, but the question is, how does it actually change me? How do I allow it to do something different in me rather than just bless me and wow me and draw my attention and draw my investments? Uh, how does it actually Make a difference in my life, and so one of the things we want to look at today uh, is this question of uh, of what what is really happening here. I mean, what what does it mean to have the the Holy Spirit's presence here? We've sung the great songs this morning, and Rhonda, I think you proved to me that you're ready for a preaching assignment. (laughs) That was a fantastic fantastic call to worship. It was so good because it really just nailed the whole idea of Pentecost being about something much, much bigger than just who we are now. It's it's God calling us to become something more. It's God calling us to, to, to be transformed into newer, newer likeness of Christ, which is what the comment that that Rhonda said that really, really perked my ears was that whole idea that we continually are seeking a transformation to be closer and closer to who Christ was and who he calls us to be. That's an amazing thing. You'll notice that there is one thing about this whole story. And we could have read the entire of chapter 2 Uh, We'll get to another part of it here quickly, but there is one word that is a key word to the empowerment of the church. And it wasn't what God did for us or did for the the people gathered. Uh, It was that here was this revealing of the power of the Holy Spirit now, the question is, what are you going to do with this? And that word is found in verse 42 of, of Acts chapter 2. And we'll get to this again, but it's the word devoted. They devoted themselves. And I want, to think, I want you to think about this. Tell me what you're really devoted to. What, if somebody asked you that, what would you say? oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm a, I'm a devoted uh, Boston Celtics fan. I'm a, I'm a devoted uh, St. Louis Cardinals fan. Or I'm a devoted Chicago White Sox fan. Amen? Amen? Yeah, 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 right. Go Sox, yeah. Um, what, what are we devoted to? And I would guess that you would point to if you look back on the moments in your life that things were the most chaotic and most turned upside down and frustrating and even painful and angering and depressing, that in most of those times, when we look back, we either lost our sense of devotion or had our circumstances determine what we were devoted to, as, a, as opposed to being devoted in the long term to, to what Christ was calling us to. The meaning of the word devoted, it says a couple of these. I want to get the full spectrum of this word devoted to give over or direct time, money, or effort to a cause, an enterprise, or an activity. Uh, for example, part of the lecture was devoted to taking questions from the audience. She devoted her life to public service, etc. What does it mean to be to devote God? Uh, to be devoted to God, strong and religious feeling, a religious exercise or practice uh, other than the regular worship of a congregation. Oh, oh. From Merriam-Webster, we get a sermon. It doesn't mean that we come to church and we look really holy for an hour and a half, two hours, and then we go live our lives. It says, other than the regular worship of a congregation. The act of devoting or the quality of being devoted, strong love, affection, dedication, devotional, It's to decide that something will be used for a special purpose, to use time, money, energy, attention for something, devoting an hour every day to prayer, devoting a a devotional time where you read your devotions um, and whatever form that comes to you, whether by email or um, or you look something up. Um, I've said before I love reading a few different devotions, I often jump um, today in God's Word, or today in the Word is one of them recently that I've been utilizing. Um, so it means that we, we're also committed to something, um, and, and that's what we see as the, the result of the empowerment of the Spirit, that the Spirit empowers us to be able to embrace and respond. Let's read Acts 2, 42 to 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Just say, was this a one-time event? Oh, well, it was just the season of the church getting launched. After, do you think that ten years after this happened, that um, everybody just went back to doing things as normal? I, I don't think so, because every every sociological perspective and religious perspective that I've read says that of all of the religions of the world that have cropped up, none had less chance of surviving than the Christian faith in the context that it was born in. And In other words, against all odds, the power of the Holy Spirit was, helped empower the church that Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. He was talking about the rock of not just one person, He was talking about the rock of the foundation and commitment to to him and to his way. So the Holy Spirit desires to make us whole, to restore us to what we were intended to be emotionally, socially, spiritually. And it's through the fire of the Holy Spirit that, that we end up having that empowered. But that never happens without something else happening first. It doesn't happen until there is a devotion, until there is a decision that is made not just to be counted as a follower of Christ, but to truly re- receive and, and to truly seek the empowerment of the Holy Spirit by my devotion. That is the trigger point. If I'm not devoted to it, how is God gonna work through me? if I'm not devoted to his way, if I'm a Sunday morning Christian and the rest of the week mediocre believer, how is that going to be effective in changing me or having an impact on others? So the, the power of the Holy Spirit was to come and transform us. And you know, we don't like being transformed. We don't like that. Some of us don't like going to the dentist. Some of us have waited on a painful tooth until, you know, it got so severe, and only when it's the worst, maybe doing it with doctors. And believe me, I've never, I'll just tell you, I've had two, a couple of of near-death experiences, and one of them was because we didn't go to the doctor. And one of the other ones, we did go to the doctor, but the doctor mis, misdiagnosed, and I was very, very close to dying. I mean, what does it take for us to actually go and seek to be willing, not just to get treated, and if you translate that from dental and medical to spiritual, what does it mean for us to actually go to the source, God's word? and to pray for God's Spirit to change us rather than to just change our circumstances. God, just please heal this tooth so I don't have to go to the dentist. You know, when you apply that thinking to spirituality, it gives a little different picture, doesn't it? Instead, we can live a life of renewal through the fire of the Holy Spirit if we're open to letting the Spirit direct our path and guide our ways. Thomas Merton reminds us, by reading the scriptures, I am so renewed that all nature seems renewed around me and with me. Huh. Things look different when I become different. Things look renewed when I allow myself to have a new attitude, a new and positive approach to trusting in God. Somehow, everything starts to look different. Um, Merton goes on to say, the sky seems to be pure, a a cooler blue, the trees a deeper green, the whole world is charged with the glory of God and I feel fire and music under my feet. Wow, that's that's transformation. When the church looks like what Jesus created the church to look like, the church will accomplish what Jesus designed the church to accomplish. I think that's a great, a, a great quote. Um, and, and I think they, that the whole understanding uh, is that we need to be open to allow that transformation to come. And thus, in two weeks, we will have our, uh, the beginning of a process of, of revitalization. Are we ready to be revitalized? Do we mean it when we sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, Lord, is what my heart longs for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. That's what happened at Pentecost. There was an overcoming power that came because of the openness of those people to receive it. And then see what happened to the community that we call church. That community was transformed, constantly grew by the power of the devotion that invited the Holy Spirit to keep working and keep changing. And so there are a few things that this passage points to in which demonstrates that the Holy Spirit was invited to not just come for a Sunday. Hey, um, Lord, we we want to schedule... You for Pentecost Sunday, could you come and um, and and have an event for us? Uh, do something wowing. Uh, uh, make us all talk in different languages. Um, and uh, j- just for one Sunday, Lord, that that's that would be enough for us. We're good the rest of the year. You know, do we do we think in that way? You know, or do we think of the fact that? that when I devote myself to the things that the early church did, what will happen? I think we know what will happen, uh, but let's look at those. The first thing they devoted themselves to was to discipleship, what they called the apostles' teaching. And it wasn't just the apostles' teaching verbally. It was the apostles' demonstration of meeting people's needs and and performing miracles and healing, and it was um, it but it was allowing themselves to be directed by the letters from Peter from Paul that the church was was getting input and guidance from those that leadership, so the Holy Spirit created a desire in people's hearts and does to this day uh, not just brand new Christians but for anyone who wants to turn and grow from the apostles' teaching. It, it would also would have been that the apostles at that time were teaching the Old Testament as well. And that was a written word. And um, Jesus' uh, example and his life was something that they referred to a great deal. There was a hunger for God's truth to be revealed. And, and that hunger was there. The backbone of a healthy Christian life is teaching and transforming our minds into the likeness of Christ. Peter says like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Interesting way of saying that. So the more study then that is needed will continually, and the more we devote ourselves to that will continue to help us grow and the church grow, Uh, and being secondly devoted to the fellowship. That's interesting to say, being devoted to the fellowship. This kind of fellowship did not exist before the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The Greek word here that is used is koinonia. It's not found in any of the Gospels. This is the first occurrence of it in the New Testament, is the word koinonia, koinonia. The root is commonness, idea means commonness or commonality. New Testament Greek is called koine Greek because it was the common Greek of the day, the street language of the people. So every time that this word koinonia was used, it denoted some kind of sharing and something with someone, uh, sharing something with someone where it means it could mean also offering collection contribution, sharing in something that somebody else is experiencing. Here in Acts, the emphasis of the word is on contributing or giving, but it was more than that. I know this is an age-old argument. You maybe have remembered me saying this before, but as a young youth pastor here, I remember encountering this attitude that, well, look, we, we just don't think it's proper. For our kids to get together and just have fun, to just have games. So, by that standard, adults, all of your card game clubs or evenings, gotta go. Get it out of there. There is no place for fun. So, we can sometimes call it fellowship. That's what they were talking about fellowship. Maybe it wasn't just a game night, but maybe it was. See how far or how close to a rock you can throw a pebble and they'd have contests. I don't know, I'm making it up. I don't know what all their games were. But I do know this, that fellowship means the sharing of our lives. Fellowship means the openness to receive someone new into our classes and into our our regular conversations in the foyer, in the hallways, uh, in in the Christian greeting time to reach out to somebody that we don't know as well. I know that they devoted themselves to the fellowship because the word says it. And that was a key part of their being transformed. If you were somebody who had never known the message of the gospel and suddenly here's a group of people telling you about it and then they welcome you, in fact, you even come to their breakfast or they have you in your home and they invite you uh, to, uh, to a, a church service or to a gathering, a prayer time. That opening up is a part of creating fellowship and, and even fun times build relationships. And that was my argument all the way back as a youth pastor was um, you know if if we don't see Christ in everything we do even in our laughter or in our joy i mean come on then let's just start ruling out no more laughter at anything i say i mean that's that's, that's just wrong to laugh in church right i mean that that's actually it was sort of what i thought our congregation was like when i first came here it's like you know loosen up a little bit did not God send his son Jesus to restore joy and, and laughter and victory? Do we actually live and laugh like we already have won the victory or Christ has won it for us? We have it. Let's live like we're joyful. You know, I mean, you don't, you don't see people win championships and then go to the press conference and go, yeah, I just really feel bad because... I made a couple of mistakes in that game. You know, it's like, they don't care about that. They care about the fact that they're celebrating the victory and and we should be celebrating the victory of Christ in us. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to working, uh, worshiping together. So when it says that they they were in homes breaking bread together and, and praying together, breaking bread is a symbol of it's the communion, what we call communion. But they were breaking bread in homes as, as a reflection of not only fellowship, but worshiping together. Prayer and communion are a key element of worship. And we pray every single Sunday that we gather. That, that And praying together in homes can sometimes even be more powerful. When the early church committed themselves to the breaking of the bread, They were doing that because their desire was to keep Jesus front and center, devoted themselves. So they devoted themselves uh, to the teaching, they devoted themselves to fellowship, and they devoted themselves to worshiping together in the presence of God. uh, With glad and generous hearts, it says, which is the celebration part. Fourth, they devoted themselves to meeting physical needs and burdens. And I would guess used to be a challenge for you. If you go down through all the mysteries of the church that we have, uh, they're probably in one or more of these categories. But devoting themselves to meeting physical needs, they were going and selling properties so that they could help provide for other people that had need. I have heard of it, and I've heard of it here. It's happened a few times in our congregation that, that that kind of thing has been done. It's not announced, it's not glorified, but it's been done in an incredible way where there have been a lot of sacrifices for that. But they weren't just talking about physical needs. They were also talking about lifting each other's burdens. And that's part of our prayer and share time here and in our classes. And that's transforming because when we devote ourselves to pray for someone, we are closer to that person and we have invested more in that other person. So if you're feeling like you aren't very close to someone, start praying for them on a daily basis and see what happens. Start praying for other people on a, on a regular basis and, and maybe make a contact, ask them how they're doing, and see if that devotion to praying for doesn't change the relationship. And that's what Christ is, is, is really saying to us about the Holy Spirit. I will send my spirit so that it will remind you of the things I've taught you. It will, uh, it will confirm the things that I've taught you while I'm here. It will continue to guide you and give you direction. All of those things are a part of being devoted to the way of Christ. And, and that's our calling as a church is to be devoted The the fifth thing is being devoted to the ministry, particularly the ministry of serving, but all the ministries and being devoted to that. This congregation has been absolutely stellar over the years when there is a a need. We have said ever ever since I've been here, I have never known a time where any youth was ever turned away from any activity because of cost. Absolutely never I mean, and and we may want to think about that going beyond just youth, but that was that has been a strong tenor of all of our youth ministries is to say we we are way too wealthy of a people to not generously provide uh, when someone has those kinds of needs. but we also have prayer chains, and i I just want to bless you and affirm you, Sunday school classes for your willingness to, to actually um, uh, send out your prayer lists and continue to, to um, you know, let other, everyone know and, and let us know as leaders so that we can pray. That's a form of meeting each other's burdens. And finally, I mean, there's, and there's many ways that we serve. Um, we volunteer in so many different ways. Culturally, though, we are trained to center our lives, as Rick Warren said, about being around being a life being about me. And so we need to confront that. Finally, they were devoted to evangelism. And half the time, the fact that they had devoted themselves to being the church, they didn't even have to worry about doing evangelism because the evangelism was enough of an attraction for people to go, I've never seen anybody living like this before. I want part of that. That's, that is, it. it is the willingness to share the gospel and to send people out and to witness to people and share with them the stories of our faith and what God has done in our lives. Yes, it's that too. But I'll tell you, when, when this world sees a group of people that have devoted themselves to this kind of love, wow, that is is why 3,000 were added in one day. That's why the church exploded in so many places. Not just because the Holy Spirit came in with power and just transformed everyone, made them wonderful, beautiful little Christians, but because of the devotion of people in all of our brokenness, all of our sinfulness, to allow God to do something new in transforming us. So as we prepare for this time of revitalization, we aren't going to do it in a perfect way. It isn't going to all be easy. We're going to have differences of perspective. But there is one thing we must devote ourselves to, and that is our mission, that we were called to be transformed in order to help other people be transformed, in order to help other people be transformed, etc., etc., etc. Over and over and over again. There's a great quote by um, A. W. Tozer that says, "If you were to take the Holy Spirit out of this world, much of what we're doing in our churches would go right on, and nobody would know the difference." That's a challenging quote there. And I I liked what the pastor said in his sermon when he said, I do not believe in in repetition of Pentecost. Actually, this is continuation of Tozer's quote. I do not believe in the repetition of Pentecost. Okay, listen, repetition of Pentecost. But I do believe in the perpetuation of Pentecost. And there is a vast difference between the two. We don't just want to repeat over and over again in the same way. We want a perpetuation. We want a willingness to extend the work to the next person so that it will go to the next person, so that it will go to the next person, so that there is a perpetuation of what God is doing in our lives rather than just repeating the same thing we get used to doing. I think it's a powerful way of challenging us. And, and let me tell you, there are a lot of people around that are in need. Uh, and I like this. I'll close with this story. There's a lot of people around that are in need of light because there's a lot of darkness around. But J- James Dobson uh, shared this story about his friend in the book, The Strong-Willed Child, um, He said, consider the experience of my friend who was a recreational pilot when he was younger. On one occasion, he flew a single-engine plane toward his home base at a small country airport. Unfortunately, he waited too long till he had taken off and it was getting darker. So he started back and he got into the vicinity of the, the landing strip as the sun dropped behind a mountain And by the time he maneuvered his plane into position to land, he couldn't see where the runway was. And so there were no lights to guide him and no one on duty at the airport. He circled the field for another attempt to land, but by then the darkness had become even more impenetrable. And for two desperate hours, he flew his plane around and around in the blackness of the night, knowing that probably death awaited him when he ran out of fuel. Then, as greater panic gripped him, a miracle occurred. Now you be the judge of whether this was a miracle or not. Someone on the ground heard the continuing drone of his engine and realized his predicament. That man drove his car back and forth on, to, on the runway to show, the, uh, show him the location of the airstrip. Then he let his lights cast their beam from the far end while the plane landed. That, that is providing a light for others to land. And I want to invite the team to come up. We're going to close with singing two songs and they are connected. And I want you to understand that I don't care how little your light is. I don't care how, whether it's a birthday cake candle, whether it's a teeny little flashlight or a two million watt high beam that shines way into the sky. It doesn't matter how small our light is. We are called to help other people land out of the predicament and mess and potential death and harm in their lives. That's what we're called to do. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit does. It comes as a light and a fire upon God's people and lights us to be able to light our candles, our lights for other people, so that they might land with Christ safely. And so we're going to sing this little light of mine, and then we're going to sing a wonderful follow-up to that, Shine, Jesus, Shine. Would you stand to sing together?